you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Whenever someone close to us suffers, we often imagine how we would respond if the same thing happened to us. If we are feeling a bit self-righteous at the time, we can think, I wouldn't have handled that situation like that. I would have trusted God more and not been so anxious. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we may marvel at how people respond to their suffering, believing that we wouldn't have done nearly as well in it. The reality is, however you imagine you would respond to a particular form of suffering, you just don't know. You may have some idea based on past responses or your overall personality and character, but there are just too many unknown variables. Sometimes you will surprise even yourself at how well you deal with your suffering. At other times, you'll be disappointed that you didn't handle it better. More importantly, we can be amazed at how God works in our hearts and minds to give us the ability to suffer in ways that glorify Him. And yet, we also don't just sit back and count on God to respond to suffering for us. The Christian has a unique responsibility to respond to suffering biblically. Now, I would suggest our duty to respond rightly is even more important today, as so many people are always watching us. In past history, only a small amount of family and friends really knew the suffering a person was experiencing. But now, with the advent of social media, you can have thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people deeply connected and concerned about your suffering. Things that used to be much more private are now so public. No, I'm not saying you can't be private in your suffering to some extent. I'm just speaking to the reality that it is much easier to share what is going on in our lives, which then other people share to even more people. So our responses to suffering are on display to other Christians and non-Christians alike. Just recently, our church family has been connected to a member who had to have his leg amputated because of a bike accident. A family is now touched by the suffering of disability in a very new way. With it comes not only corporate grief and concern, but the future need of good biblical care and counseling. I will say this very public event has been handled beautifully by the family and the church and the community. It did make me imagine how I would respond to this same sort of suffering. I'm not sure I would have done so well. So we'll use these last three podcast episodes to line out the Christian's response to suffering. We will use biblical examples and, yes, use non-Christian sources as a foil for how not to respond to suffering as well. Hopefully, these general biblical truths will help you respond to your own suffering as well as to counsel others biblically around you who are suffering deeply. Well, we have built our theology of suffering, we have looked to the example of Christ, and we've considered all the purposes of suffering in the life of the unbeliever and the believer. 
Now we'll use all of that foundation given to us to build a proper model of how to respond to suffering. Again, this will include unbiblical responses as well, since we often have to learn what not to do in order to do what is right. So we'll begin with yet another biblical case study. If you haven't figured it out by now, we have plenty of stories of suffering of real people in the Bible. These stories are given to us to teach us truths by example. So today we'll consider the sufferings of Joseph as we look to make a biblical response to suffering. Here's a fun fact. More is written about Joseph than any other Bible character. His life has been described by commentators as a study in God's detours. Do you know that feeling? Joseph never could have guessed the trajectory of his life. Well, that means his life is a rich lesson in the providence of God and how God uses everyday situations and sufferings to further his purposes in the life of his people. Now, I'm assuming you know and remember much of the story of Joseph, but I'll read some of the important texts again for our encouragement. So consider the lessons learned from Joseph's suffering and how these lessons form the foundation for a biblical response to our suffering. First, Joseph learned to be a servant in his sufferings. Think about the fact that Joseph went from beloved, favored, spoiled child with great privilege to a lowly servant in two very extremely challenging situations. First in Genesis 39, 1 through 4, we read how Joseph was chief servant in Potiphar's household, the man who bought him as a slave. But later then in Genesis 39, verses 20 to 23, we read how Joseph became the chief servant in prison as well. Of course, after being falsely accused of sexual sin with Potiphar's wife. In both instances, Joseph received God's grace and mercy in the midst of his suffering, and he learned to be a servant. Listen to two verses, Genesis 39, verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And then verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph not only became a servant in his suffering, he learned how to be the best servant of all, finding success even as he suffered. And of course, the key here is that the Lord was with him and loved him and cared for him through it, allowing him to be a servant in his suffering. Well, a related principle is that in his suffering, Joseph learned how to carry heavy responsibility. We read in Genesis 39 how both areas of service were heavy in responsibility. He was over all of Potiphar's estate. You have to imagine it was a big job. He was over all of the servants. Joseph was also head of the inmates, too, in prison. Talk about a big burden to bear. So even though suffering in slavery and then suffering in prison, that didn't mean Joseph was unable to do anything about it. On the contrary, in the midst of his suffering, he learned to be responsible, to work hard, to obey his master's well. And then a third principle, 
In his suffering, Joseph learned how to be responsive to the needs of others. In prison, in the midst of his own suffering, Joseph ministered to the needs of others, especially the Pharaoh's butler and his baker. Listen to how beautifully responsive he is to the sadness of these prisoners. In Genesis 40, verses 1 through 8. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. He served them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Or why are you so depressed? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Do you hear it? Do you see it? While suffering, he served people he didn't have to serve. He could have ignored their pain. I would have ignored their pain. Hey, I'm in so much pain. Why should I worry about yours? Amazingly, Joseph ministered to them in their sadness, in his sadness. He was looking out for others all along the way. And then fourth, in the life of Joseph, we see that in his suffering, he learned patience. Patience for being sold into slavery to begin with. Patience for being wrongly accused and imprisoned. Then even more patience when in Genesis 40, verses 14 and 23, we read about the chief butler forgetting about Joseph. How could he endure that? How wrong was that? Well, we know from the rest of Joseph's story that it was necessary for him to learn all these things because at the age of 30, he was prime minister over the land of Egypt. He was Pharaoh's right-hand man. Do you understand that it took suffering to give him the character he would need? Do you know that you need it too? Or do you believe that your character is just fine without any more suffering? Which leads us to the next major truth about Joseph and his suffering. Listen closely. Joseph's growth as a believer and his promotion by God were related to the way he responded to his suffering. Which begs the big question, would Joseph have been promoted by God if he hadn't responded rightly to his suffering? I don't think so. God would have used someone else to accomplish his purposes. Joseph enjoyed God's favor in those suffering situations, but still had to obey and submit to the hand of God in his life. Listen to how Joseph summed up his suffering to his brothers in that very mind-blowing fulfillment of prophecy of the dreams God gave him. In Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8, we read, and this is Joseph speaking, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. 
For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. You heard it. His confession of faith, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then in Genesis 50, several years later, Joseph said to his brothers again, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph responded rightly all the way. No, it doesn't mean he was perfect all the time. I'm sure there are many instances of him sinning in his suffering. But just think about how well he responded to suffering. He left the righting of wrongs in God's hands. He saw God's providence even in man's evil against him. And then finally, he repaid evil with forgiveness and practical love and affection. But we need to incorporate these examples and other truths into our own response to suffering. Okay, we need to get an overall view of how we are to respond to suffering as Christians. So here are some questions we'll need to answer in these next few podcasts. First, what is the way that God wants his children to respond to the adversity in life? Or are there actually several different ways we can respond? Then secondly, are there responses which are displeasing to God? What are they and how can they be avoided? Well, let me give some general answers to these questions before we get into specifics over these last few episodes. First, Scripture clearly demonstrates that there is a way that pleases God in the endurance of trials. Yet its experience and manifestation will vary from Christian to Christian. What I mean by that is a biblical response cannot be reduced to a simple formula. Life is just too complicated for that. Our suffering is too complicated for that. And it does not eliminate the fact that we will have painful struggle, tears, and questions. But again, there is a right response. Better said, there are attitudes and actions which should characterize the suffering of the child of God. I would say they fall into these two overarching principles. First, the Christian must understand the meaning and the place of their faith in the face of trials. Unfortunately, many Christians misunderstand what faith really is. So we need to talk about what Scripture teaches about our faith in the midst of suffering. And then second, the Christian must understand the place of complaining and lamenting in the midst of suffering. Is there a difference between good complaining and bad complaining? There has to be a way that we can tell God about our suffering without committing the sin of complaining. Okay, we'll build on those broad principles in our next podcast. 
So that was just a bit of a preview of things still to come. But where I want to go now is the question of how the Christian is not to respond in their suffering. Of course, there are some pretty obvious things we must avoid, with the worst being the rejection of God himself. Well, the ones I want to focus on are the ones that are most tempting to us. These wrong responses are also given to us regularly by this world, and from the experts in this world, and from the temptations of Satan. So once more, I'll use Rabbi Kushner's teachings, since they epitomize what the world's wisdom is regarding how to respond to suffering. Remember, his bestseller is still advertised today as the best-selling book that has brought peace to millions. The way it has supposedly brought peace to millions includes advice on how to respond to suffering. Sadly, these ways are not only unbiblical, but they don't bring true biblical peace. So here's how Kushner says a person should respond to suffering, and then we'll point out why it's wrong. First, he says, and most importantly, don't blame yourself. Here's a couple quotes from Kushner. People make a bad situation worse by blaming themselves. When things don't turn out as we would like them to, it is very tempting to assume that had we done things differently, the story would have had a happier ending. And then again, he says, it's our parents who make us feel guilty for all the bad things that happen in our lives. They yell at us, punish us when we do wrong, telling us that we are bringing all of our problems on ourselves. So we quickly learn to blame ourselves for any suffering we are in. Aren't your parents horrible? Well, this is a wrong response because it is too broad of an approach to suffering. It's just not true that humans are somehow innocent in all of their suffering. There are plenty of times we should blame ourselves or Better said, be convicted of our own sin and have biblical guilt for what we have done. Yes, a man like Job didn't need to blame himself, so there's false guilt at times. But overall, we should be prepared to inspect ourselves when we are suffering and take responsibility for our part of the problem. And certainly not just blame our parents for teaching us how to take false blame. His second principle of response is this. It's okay to be angry at God. Here's Kushner again. Being angry at God won't hurt God and neither will it provoke him to take measures against us. If it makes us feel better to vent our anger at him over a painful situation, we are free to do it. The only thing wrong with doing it is that what happened to us was not really God's fault. First of all, what a funny, silly, foolish thing to say. Of course, being angry at God won't hurt God. I once heard a preacher actually say, you can be angry at God. He's a big boy. He can handle it. How terrible is that? No, it's not okay to be angry with God. It is understandable, but it's not okay. Worse than not being okay is that it is sinful. God has not sinned against you. He does not need to be forgiven. He is perfect. He does no wrong. He does not wrong his people. So any anger at God is sinful and must be confessed and repented of. It's not some good therapy to vent your anger at God. 
What that does is only harden a person towards God. Kushner says that the only thing wrong with being angry with God is that your suffering wasn't really God's fault. Now, we've gone over Kushner's view of an impotent God who is not strong enough to stop suffering, so we won't go over that again. But again, no, it's wrong to be angry with God because God is sovereign, righteous, holy, and good, not because he's not responsible for your suffering. God alone knows how to perfectly use suffering in your life, and he knows why you need it. And then his third element of a response is, Be angry at the situation. Kushner writes, Being angry at the situation, recognizing it as something rotten, unfair, and totally undeserved, shouting about it, denouncing it, crying over it, permits us to discharge the anger, which is part of being hurt, without making it harder for us to be helped. Now, at first blush, this might sound like a fairly good response. Yet it still rests in the lie that suffering is totally undeserved and unwarranted. And it has with it a psychological view of anger as some sort of substance that must be discharged and expelled. Yes, the Bible teaches us that we can be angry at our situation and not sin. But again, remember, the important point there is to not sin in our anger. We shouldn't just scream about our suffering, throwing some sort of grown-up temper tantrum. There's a much better and bigger response required of the Christian. And then his fourth principle of response is, don't be jealous of those who aren't suffering. This is the next component, again, of his advice for us. Listen to it. He says, everyone gets his share. If we knew the facts, we would very rarely find someone whose life was to be envied. Now, there's a little bit of truth in this. Yes, everyone suffers in this life. And yes, we're not to be jealous or envious of others. So this is the closest Kushner gets to somewhat a right response. But it still seems pretty self-centered, doesn't it? Like the only way we can feel good about our suffering is when we realize that everyone else suffers too. Shouldn't we as Christians not want others to suffer? Again, there is a much bigger and better response that Christians should strive for. And then there's one last piece of how we should respond to our suffering, according to Kushner. And again, remember, he's just an example of the wisdom of this world. And that last piece of wisdom is we should pray. Of course, you won't hear the world tell you to pray, at least not to Jesus. So it's great that Kushner tells the sufferer to pray, right? This is certainly a biblical response to suffering. Yet you must have the right understanding of prayer, which Kushner does not. How can he have the right view of prayer since he believes God is not in control of the universe? How can we ask him to intervene or change things when he is limited, according to Kushner? So why pray? According to Rabbi Kushner, well, he gives two reasons why we should pray. First, he says prayer puts us in touch with other people, people who share the same concerns, values, dreams, and pains that we do. So I guess what he's saying is the act of praying for people is just so we can think about the suffering of other people. We can feel their pain and they can feel ours too. Well, guess what? This isn't prayer. 
This is just sympathy or empathy. That's all it is. And then he says, prayer puts us in touch with God. But not in the sense to ask him for things, just to know that he's on our side. According to Kushner, God is beside you. He just can't do anything for you. Again, this is not prayer, or at least it is some kind of hollow, shallow praying just to make you feel better, just so you know God exists. Well, a right response to suffering does include prayer, praying to a God who is in complete control of our suffering. And we'll talk about that in another podcast. So in our next episode, we will begin to look at what the Bible teaches us about the Christian response to pain and suffering. You may have certain ideas about how you are supposed to respond that don't actually match with biblical truth. Or you may be completely overlooking ways you are called to respond, not knowing what the Bible actually teaches. We all certainly have much to learn about how to respond to suffering. It's part of the reason why we continue to suffer in this life. Thankfully, we have a God who is patient, long-suffering, merciful, and gracious with us slow learners. He continues to teach us and to train our hearts. So until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.